0: The Indian Health System serves 2.6 million American Indian and Alaska Native people in more than 30 states. The system faces numerous challenges, including low funding levels, understaffing, and digital divide. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Jessica Leston, Clinical Programs Director at the Northwest Portland Area Indian Health Board. Ms. Leston has co-authored a prospective article about the Indian Health System and a path forward. Ms Lestin could you start by explaining a bit about the history of the Indian Health System and its parent agency the Indian Health Service why were these organizations created and what are their official responsibilities
1: The Indian Health Service is an agency within the Department of Health and Human Services although it actually sits within the Department of the Interior and that is a holdover for when the Department of the Interior was the Department of War, and that is where the Indian Health Service originally was seated. So as now, for all purposes besides funding an agency that gets directive and collaborates within the Department of Health and Human Services, it was created to provide healthcare services to members of federally recognized tribes. And this grew out of a special government-to-government relationship between the federal government and Indian tribes. That relationship was established back in 1787. It's based on Article I, Section 8 of the Constitution, and has been given form and operation uh, by numerous treaties, laws, Supreme Court decisions, and executive orders.
0: So what's been the government's approach to the Indian health system in recent years? How has the system factored into national health policy discussions, appropriations decisions, all that sort of thing?
1: Well, a lot of the times when we're talking about funding for the Indian Health Service and we're talking about funding for HHS in general, the Indian Health Service is unintentionally, I think, left out. And it's left out because of that separation of funding between HHS and the Department of the Interior. So a lot of the times when HHS is making decisions around funding that are allowed by acts of Congress, say, for instance, for ending the HIV epidemic, although the president might say that there's $25 million that should go to the Indian Health Service to end the HIV epidemic. The actual funding doesn't come through because all of the funding for ending the HIV epidemic is given to HHS, and you can't fund the Indian Health Service via HHS. You can only fund the Indian Health Service through the Department of the Interior.
0: You say in your perspective article that there's broad agreement that the Indian health system is poorly resourced, but policymakers use the system's deficiencies as cover. So what are the system's biggest deficiencies and what are the most important challenges that it's facing?
1: The effects of underfunding are vast. And I don't mean to say that all issues within the Indian health system can be fixed with funding for the system alone. And when I'm saying the Indian health system, I mean the IHS federal facilities, the tribal facilities, and also the urban Indian health organizations. But we know that 20 to 30% of healthcare outcomes can occur within the clinic walls. So some of the direct effects of underfunding include old facilities that are antiquated and have huge issues, equipment issues, almost antique equipment that is being used in some of these Indian healthcare facilities. If you look at the budget currently, if a new IHS clinic is built right now, That same clinic won't be updated for 400 years. And there's a lack of HR. We have a 25% vacancy rate across all levels of staffing in the Indian Health Service. And we have high turnover. So once people are familiar with the system, familiar with the communities, understand things, they often don't stay.
0: Looking at things at a more basic level, what do we know about the health of American Indians and Alaska Natives and about possible health inequities in these populations? How much is the Indian health system responsible for inequities and what other factors are involved?
1: Yeah, well, like I said before, understanding that only 20 to 30% of health outcomes actually occur within the clinic walls. So not everything occurs within IHS, tribal, and urban Indian health facilities. There are things extra to the actual clinic that are huge impactors to health and wellness of tribal communities. Those social determinants include access to good, healthy food, access to good information, often by broadband which a lot of our communities don't have access to good broadband or if broadband at all, transportation issues, education for children and adults, et cetera. So a lot of health outcomes are held up within that. But we do know that 20 to 30% of health outcomes can be addressed within our facilities. And if we have the ability to adequately fund the system, Within those clinics, I think that we would be taking a real step forward with ensuring equitable healthcare access to American Indian and Alaska Native people.
0: How has the Indian health system or the individual facilities and communities that you're talking about adapted during the COVID-19 pandemic? Are there lessons to be learned from this response?
1: Yeah, I think there are definitely lessons to be learned from the COVID-19 epidemic. And I don't want to say that it occurred with good outcomes in every community. There are over 570 tribes, and each of those are very different, and their communities are very different, and their stories are very different. But in many circumstances, the COVID-19 epidemic has showed us what is possible when federal and state and local health jurisdictions work with tribal communities in a real way, Um, how they follow through on their promises, including providing important supplies, such as testing or vaccinations, including funding as well, logistic support for the response, and important, accurate information. And I think another thing that the tribes have showed us is what can happen when they exercise their sovereignty and set and execute vaccination policies adapted for their context and providing consistent messaging that is in line with the national health recommendations. We saw tribes shut down before most states shut down. We saw a lot of tribes limit access to their community before a lot of that was happening in businesses, et cetera. So they really were an example of really good proactive response to the COVID-19 pandemic in many locations.
0: Finally, you write in your article that it's a promising time to reflect on big solutions for fostering. A transformative rather than a transactional relationship between the federal government and the tribal nations. So, what would those big solutions look like in your mind?
1: Well, I think a lot of the big solutions for improving the Indian health system have to do around the relationships that the federal government has with tribes. Oftentimes there is consultation between Let's say HHS or IHS or CDC and tribes. But when I say it's transactional, I'm saying that a lot of the times we don't get direct answers for a lot of the points that are brought up in consultation. We don't engage in real communication and problem solving for what tribal nations are asking for and what tribal nations deserve uh, based on treaty and trust responsibility from the federal government. So I think a lot of that has to do around the relationships and the types of relationships that the federal government has with tribes and it not being, okay, well, here's $1.5 million for this, but it's actually getting to the root of $1.5 million isn't going to close the gap of funding for the Indian Health Service on anything. And it really has to be um, a large investment from the federal government to bring American Indian Alaska Native people and communities up to equity with the rest of the people who are inhabiting the United States of America. Thank you, Ms. Leston.